Uh, hello everyone, my name's Nikki. I'm one of the uh, regional business partners for CBN. I'd like to thank you all for taking some time today um, to attend CBN's first panel discussion, Understanding the Cyber Landscape. Some of you may be aware that October is International Cyber Awareness Month. And as we all know from uh, so many different forms of media, ours included, cyber is so prevalent at, uh, in today's society and only becoming more so. It's still one of the most undersold insurance products in fact, to share some CBN insights, looking at the share of wallet of premiums within the CBN network, cyber equates to about 0.2 of a percent of the total GWP. It's alarming for sure, but hopefully a great opportunity moving forward. We'll get straight into it. Um, I'd like to welcome our panelists for today's session. We have representation from dual Chubb and Emergence, specialists in the cyber field. We'll be asking questions of each of the panellists and getting their insights about their current experiences in their respective portfolios, hopefully giving you some tools, tips and information on how to sell the product to your customers. Now, quick introduction on each of the panellists. Michael Usher. Michael joined Jewel in 2006 as an underwriter in Melbourne, then moved to Perth as Western Australian manager in 2012. In 2015, Michael moved to Sydney to have responsibility for the authorised representative model across Australia. Michael's been the commercial manager of Asia Pacific since 2018 with his role now encompassing SME profitability, portfolio analytics, marketing and digital strategies, as well as driving the authorised representative model, including CBN. Uh, then we've got Andrew Taylor. Andrew's the Asia, Asia Pacific cyber product head for Chubb. He's based in Singapore and is responsible responsibilities managing and developing Chubb cyber portfolio and expanding their product capabilities across the region. Andrew brings over 20 years in insurance experience, which includes time underwriting in both the London and Asian insurance markets. Currently holds the honour of being one of the longest serving specialist cyber underwriters, having written the class since 2010. He also sits on the, on the cyber subcommittee for the General Insurance Association of Singapore and the Insurance Council of Australia. Then we've got Jerry Power. Jerry is the National Head of Sales for Emergence Insurance. His role involves assisting brokers and clients understand the developing area of cyber risk and how cyber insurance can be incorporated as part of a client's risk management solution. Jerry has over 25 years international general insurance industry experience and was included in the Insurance Business 2019 top list of 39 insurance executives transforming the insurance industry. With experience in DNO, ML, PI, IT liability portfolios, uh, Jerry brings us valuable insights into what goes through the mind of a professional risks underwriter. Some pretty, pretty impressive credentials there and more than a mouthful in, in, on occasion. Um, welcome Michael, Jerry and, and Andrew. Let's just get straight into it. Um, my first question is for Jerry. In your opinion, how has COVID-19 propelled cyber attacks? Thanks, Nikki. Good to be here today. COVID has absolutely transformed uh, the way businesses operate these days. From March, we moved from working from well-established offices to sending all our employees home and um, working in ways that uh, they've never really worked uh, before. That includes the challenge of working from home, maybe working on devices that aren't even owned by the, um, the organization. Um, so that in itself uh, really blurs the, 
the parameters of what IT infrastructure is for a business because employees can potentially be working from home routers, home internet that isn't controlled by the, um, the businesses at all. So this led to a massive increase in access for VPN systems to allow more secure working from home. And with that, the criminals, um, we saw an increased demand and uh, an increased mm -hmm. level of attacks on these VPN systems um, by opportunist uh, threat actors that were um, seeking out critical vulnerabilities in some of these VPN systems. We also have seen over the last six months um, a number of ransomware variants that have um, really uh, increased the sophistication of some of the cyber attacks. And we've seen some strains like Sabinocopy, um, otherwise known as Revel, We've seen Maze and um, some other large Microsoft 365 attacks. So some of these um, strains are a lot more sophisticated than before. Um, for a number of years, uh, threat actors were looking at locking down systems and just preventing a business from doing their business but with these more sophisticated strands of ransomware, what's happening is the threat actors are gaining access to the system and then uh, stealing that data or exfiltrating that data um, and then launching the ransom. So if the um, business doesn't respond to the ransom, then what the threat actors are doing is they start to leak some of the company's personal data, whether it's information about the business, some of their intellectual property, some of their HR information. And the whole idea is to focus the business on the reputational damage of not engaging with the criminals. So it really increases the, the pain point for businesses because of this um, strategy now of stealing the data before the systems are getting locked down. Um, we've seen some sophisticated threat actors um, using fairly um, sophisticated reconnaissance in trying to build up a profile of a business before they actually launch their ransomware attack. Um, we see some of the more sophisticated criminals lurking in the company's IT system for sometimes six to nine months, just understanding how the business operates. So how does the CEO communicate with the CFO? How does the CFO communicate with um, the accounts payable who pay the bills? What's the tone of language that the business uses? And the idea for doing this reconnaissance is when a phishing email attack is launched, then it's launched in the tone of the business, in words that the business would expect to see for um, communications internally. 
and I, I met with a uh, client last week and it was interesting, they said they'd foiled a social engineering attack and the key reason the attack was foiled is the request to pay an invoice started with the word please and the CFO said the CEO never used the word please and that was what heightened them to the fact that it was a social engineering attack. Um, in terms of um, the exposure that's um, impacting um, businesses. It's also impacting individuals and families, and that's what uh, prompted Emergence to launch a personal cyber product as well as a commercial product so that um, both individuals and businesses can be protected in these environments where everybody is more highly exposed than in the past. So, Nikki, there's a few thoughts from my perspective. Yep, thank you. Um, just, I just want to pop back for a second. I did forget to mention at the start that um, there is a Q&A session at the end. Uh, we'll have 10 or so minutes at the end for questions. So if you want to type in your uh, questions, there's a Q&A box at the bottom or, or the chat box. Um, we will address those questions at the end. My apologies, I forgot to mention that before. Um, Andrew, uh, same question. We, um, what are your thoughts around um, how COVID-19 has propelled cyber attacks? What have you seen? Yeah, look, thanks very much. I have to say it, it's it's not just similar to uh, what Jerry said, and I imagine Michael has a similar experience. So uh, from Chubb, we, we've been writing cyber insurance. I've been underwriting it since 2009. It uh, launched the product in Australia and also launched the product across our, our Asia, our Asian offices as well. Uh, and and also we're writing large globals and a, a very large amount of SMEs. So I know for the, the network, we're speaking to at the moment, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, COVID has provided a fantastic opportunity for threat actors to prey on human weakness. And that's what we see. And this is outlined, and I can send a link through, I'll send it through on Zoom, uh, outlined in a paper that was put forward, a joint paper from the US Homeland Security and the UK National Cyber Security Centre. Uh, where they're alerting all business and very unusual for these two organisations to, to blend together. But they were seeing a huge uptick um, in the way threat actors had pivoted to use our burst of the knowledge around COVID to use that as the lure that we want to click on. So it became a very, very, very at uh, attractive um, attack vector. Uh, they're also doing doing this through impersonating legitimate websites. So they're sending spoofing links for the WHO website. Uh, um, in Australia, Job Seeker, actually, I didn't think it happened in Australia. It was a big case in Italy where it did happen, uh, where government allowances like JobKeeper or Job Seeker in Australia, where people wanted to find information, they were using that link to then um, attract the end user to click on that link, download some malware and then they're inside to a network. There, uh, there's certainly been an increase um, in people's interest in cyber um, because of the pivot Jerry talked about and we've seen to work from home. Uh, that itself has created opportunity for threat actors in itself. I mean, imagine those listening to this Zoom, uh, most of them would be working from home, I imagine still. Um, they've allowed either their children uh, to use the laptop they've got 
they might be accessing that work through various non-corporate uh, computers. They might, and they have experimented with new technology or new applications that might not have been vetted by organisations and might not be secure. Uh, very public. The application we're using at the moment hit the press this year dramatically for some security flaws, Zoom. Uh, those flaws, I understand, have, have mostly been patched. But the speed from which we've had to embrace new technology has created a great opportunity that has propelled these cyber attacks. Okay, so some of the trends we're seeing again, and the big trend is as we've gone into a uh, work from home mode, it's using uh, VPNs, virtual, um, virtual networks to access corporate data. And how they work is they link into corporate networks through a remote desktop protocol that uh, laptops use or actually networks use. And this creates open ports um, if they're not better, better secured by companies. And these ports are being scanned by threat access to get into the network and steal information. So the ability um, of threat actors to access corporate networks through open ports is, is one aspect. Two, is just weak passwords. Using various devices, having weak passwords and not using uh, multi-factor authentication has been uh, another trend we're seeing for attacks. Uh, the one we have to uh, agree with Jerry and his point on ransomware, uh, a very, very big problem that's sweeping the world at the moment, uh, affects all businesses, small businesses, large businesses. It's a global problem. It's not something that's limited to Australia. It's not something that doesn't affect where I'm at the moment in Singapore and Asia. It's all small business uh, will unfortunately probably suffer one of these attacks and will cost them quite a bit of money. Um, but they're now not just saying we're going to encrypt your data. They're also now threatening to release personal information. That very threat to release personal information or non-public private information, corporate information, triggers the defence cost policies of cyber um, policies. Uh, it triggers the potential liability clauses in good cyber policies. And it's making the costs of defending these cyber attacks for insurance companies and businesses that are uninsured, knowing for all that are a, a huge proportion, I think 0.2%, Nikki, you said are uninsured. It makes this a much larger cost. So this is one of the trends we're seeing is smaller businesses in particular, um, when they do suffer these tax, are really struggling with the cash flow um, output they need to do to repair their network. Okay, so for me, yes, COVID has propelled the attacks. Some of the trends we're seeing is open ports through use of remote desktop working from home, uh, increase in ransomware demands and the increase um, or the increased threat of releasing information. So liability claims are now more likely to be triggered as well, making uh, cyber claims more costly for insureds. Excellent. Thanks, Andrew. Um, we'll stay with you, Andrew. Um, given that you manage a vast region at the moment, have you seen any new trends of cyber attacks emerging? If, if so, what are they? Um, look, some, some of the new trends was one, ransom demands are getting much larger. I think that's the new trend. Uh, criminals realise now that they can start to charge more. Uh, they're starting to also threaten the release of corporate information. Uh, we also start to see also liability claims be triggered from ransomware claims where information has been leaked online and then liability claims and defence costs are now starting to come through. Uh, for the last 10 years, liability claims with cyber have been 
um, usually remote. I know Chubb has paid a few, but usually a remote source of the coverage that's in a cyber policy as all first party. We know that trend is changing as well. Uh, there's threatening of threatened, uh, yeah, there's threats of class actions being developed as well. I believe that's true in the Australian market at the moment. So um, this is all part of the release of information that's taking place and large amounts of information. Put a note here, uh, liability data. Oh, the other one. Also, there seems to be a reluctance with COVID because we've moved from home. For those organisations that are in manufacturing or happen to... Um, have clients uh, in logistics, um, utilities, maybe power, generally they'd be using operational technology. So industrial control systems. Uh, companies seem to have forgotten that these systems are working behind the scenes and relying on protecting emails uh, and the IT network we use every day. Uh, we're seeing an increased number of attacks against operational technology. Uh, these attacks are generally triggering the business interruption uh, section of cyber policies and tend to be fairly severe in nature, catastrophe-based. So as we pivoted um, to protect our networks, increase the security around the IT network, there seems to be, as we're working from home, a lack of focus that's happened around oper operational technology as well. So we're seeing increased ransomware demands. We're seeing potential liability claims or liability claims start to come through on cyber. Uh, and we're seeing increasing claims against operational technology leading to much larger business interruption claims. So some of the threats or trends in 2020, unfortunately. Excellent, thank you. Um, Michael or um, Jerry, do you have anything that you'd like to add there? You go, mate. Oh, thank you, Michael. So, Nikki, we're also seeing an increase in the ransoms, as Andrew said, but one of the other issues around ransomware is some of the more sophisticated ransomware attacks are now using a tactic whereby the ransom doubles every 24 hours. So if they are asking for a ransom of $100,000, um, which we had recently with a club, um, within 24 hours that was increasing to 200,000 and um, 24 hours after that it would have potentially jumped um, to 400,000. So what that does is it really focuses the importance on responding to the incident in a more focused and very, very um, proactive way because this, um, you, can't, you can't mess around as a small business when you're talking about that sort of cash flow. We're also seeing an increase in identity theft. So to put that in context, Australia has seen an increase in identity fraud in Australia from oh. 2 billion last year to 3.1 billion this year. So that's serious dollars when you talk about um, stealing people's identity so that um, a criminal can then um, take out a loan on um, the name of the person and uh, potentially leave that person destroyed from a credibility perspective and from an identity perspective. We're also seeing an increased focus on cyber attacks in the financial services industry. Uh, with insurance companies and interestingly, insurance brokers as well. So we're seeing that in our book and we're also seeing it coming out of some of the material in the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme. 
Michael? I, I think for this particular topic, the um, experiences, uh, whether it be emergence, jewel or chub, would be fairly generic. I think there's two ways of, uh, of looking at trends or analysing trends. It would be on a causation basis and um, both of the guys have already talked about the, the increasing in ransomware as well as um, the, uh, the, the significant increasing in the amounts. The, the other part um, that, that, that Andrew specifically touched on was obviously the, the industry classifications and, and what the growth or the, the commonalities there that have been um, seen over the last 12, 18, 24 months. And I think that if, uh, if everyone was to, to sit down and uh, analyse portfolios, it'd be fairly similar. Um, our own, and we're obviously always happy to share this sort of data, is medical manufacturing. Andrew obviously touched on the, the manufacturing um, complexities that, ha that are happening um, in terms of uh, robotics and how systems are working. Um, retail's another area that uh, I think the, the broking market needs to to understand that um, has serious implications from a, a cyber and privacy perspective. Um, Jerry obviously touched on the, the, the type of identity theft, but from a, a pure um, data breach scheme notifications, um, we're seeing a significant increase there related to uh, predominantly medical and retail because of how much information is stored, how much information is captured and um, how important and uh, expensive that, that particular information is. So. I think on a, a summary basis for trends, um, all insurers, whether it be us three or whether it um, go wider to, to, to other markets, what are the um, trends they're seeing in relation to the industries that are experiencing, whether it be frequency or severity claims, and then is it um, a, a causation scenario of ransomware, of social engineering, of, of privacy, um, the third party claims again, everyone's seeing an increase in those and that's what uh, Andrew's referenced specifically before. So I think that pretty much summarises it, Nikki. Thanks, Michael. Um, we'll stay with you. In your role at Dual, um, how do you actually help brokers and their clients to identify thefts posed by cyber risks? Yeah, I think that um, the, the, the role that I play internally um, with our shop would be uh, no different to um, definitely the other two guys on this panel, but but the wider market in, in trying to educate um, brokers about cyber insurance. Um, educating is, um, is obviously a pretty broad terminology, but it can be from um, the actual coverage aspect of, of what a cyber policy entails. Um, uh, I think the market has a, and the industry as a whole, has an obligation to try and simplify it. So, um, we um, uh, and the other guys have already touched on their own individual portfolios with a, a heavy basis for us is, is SME like Andrew touched on and um, brokers as a whole, I'm sure everyone on the, the, the uh, panel today, um, brokers as a whole um, don't want to struggle with conversations they're having with their clients um, and, and cyber is an industry and a, a product where conversations can be difficult specific to the type of terminology that's used. And um, we have a job of trying to educate through simplicity, um, making sure that brokers are aware of how it will affect a certain industry. What are the claims examples? Um, I, I think that's part of it. Uh, the other part that we have a, a, a responsibility or obligation is to, 
to make sure that it's not another management liability and um, uh, especially in um, in Chubb's experience, the same as ours and predominantly AIG. Um, management liability was a product very similar to cyber that was um, not an overly mature product. Um, it, it's a product like cyber that's been formed um, predominantly in the last 10 years. Um, and a lot of people trying to, um, a lot of insurers trying to um, garner market share. Um, what we need to make sure that ourselves along with the broking community is doing that responsibility and, and making sure we don't get a, a, a product that needs significant remediation in two to three or, or, or four years because of um, really cheap premiums. And I'm sure that um, every insurer is guilty of that at some stage through their, their, their phase of development. But as long as brokers are aware that, that they have the ability to, to have a simple conversation with their client about the exposures that are faced, about the coverage that, that can now be sought. Um, Andrew touched on um, the, the costs that are involved. I, I think there's some misconceptions from the, the wider broking community about how much these claims could actually cost and, and what those costs involve. And um, as the guy spoke about, restoring data is significant amount of money simply because someone's network or system or, or, or operating infrastructure is, is down for whether it be one day, two days or, uh, or, or weeks or months. And look, that's the, the, the job that um, us three on the panel today and the broking community need to, to work together to, to achieve. And he, can I can I say a few a few more comments to that? Um, I tend to agree, with Michael. I also I, I mean for me I don't I don't really like the the analogy to management liability, though I, I can see it's effective and works. But um, because there there certainly has been uh, a push to try and uh, offer cyber. Um, more aggressively in the market. Now, since 2009, there was various aspects of how to do that. And the similarities, Michael, I think you're alluding to is, is for brokers, management liability um, ended up becoming a commodity product. And it was only after about 15 years, I think the market worked out which sections of the product were the areas um, that were better suited to specific clients. Um, and by that stage, whilst we became effective at advising clients how management liability operated, um, it was probably already too late where we started to see the claims activity in the market coming through and it needed to be very substantial and still is substantial price correction going on for that product in the market. Cyber similarity is it's a package product. So I'd say to, to those brokers trying to understand what cyber's about is I ask always, please forget um, the term cyber liability. One, because good policies are more than just a liability policy. And where the trends we're seeing, the ones that Michael and Jerry have spoken about, are generally alluding to the first party costs, the incident response costs, data asset loss costs under the policy, and we're seeing a rise in BI. So I think if the, if the market and those brokers interested in cyber is think about which sections of the policy are most important to the client you're speaking to. 
And generally, we're looking at ransomware claims. It's cyber extortion is generally called in the policy. And then the first party costs would be incident response costs or some type of expense cost. These first party costs are, the, uh, I think, the, the real value that uh, SMEs Australia um, are getting. If they're manufacturing utilities based, then look at the business interruption component of that policy and start speaking to that. Um, as I said, liability is coming on, but um, in terms of that education piece, I think the sooner the market starts to appreciate that cyber is a package policy, and as we're advising our clients, it's let, let's look and lead with which section of that policy is more effective. Uh, that will help us, I, I believe, um, falling into that management liability trap of underpricing a product as market share comes through. But I will say in terms of that, we might already be a little bit too late because uh, around the world, US markets, uh, UK markets, uh, we're seeing in Asia Pacific, uh, the rates on cyber premiums are already going up. We're seeing a withdrawal of capacity in the market. We're seeing some London markets not want to write certain classes. We're seeing capacity come out and we're already seeing some rate correction because of uh, the size of the claims that are coming through in this space. So, um, yeah, Mike, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. I don't like the, the analogy in management liability, but we probably have to live with it because it's true. But really, let's, let's remember that cyber insurance or good cyber insurance policies, uh, in their essence, they're package policies. That's for me. So there is price correction as well. Yeah, I think, Nikki. Nikki, I think um, adding this question about how can we help brokers um, improve their cyber conversations with, with the client is, is important today because the CBN stats already tell us that um, brokers are struggling to have a cyber conversation with their clients. And the, I think one of the challenges of that is um, talking about cyber um, some people think that it's a technology conversation that you should be having with the client, where um, what, what we try and do at Emergence is we try and um, focus on education um, to brokers to try and help have a better cyber conversation with clients. And, um, you know, an example of that is what, what does cyber mean anyway? It's a catch-all phrase for a whole heap of things. So... What we try and do is we try and break down what cyber exposures are in terms of the, the individual types of attacks, whether it's an FPOS attack, whether it's a, a, an extortion attempt, whether it's human error. Um, I say to people, one of the things that we do in Cyberland is we ensure dumb people because they're the ones making the mistakes, uh, clicking on phishing emails, so what we try and do is um, provide brokers with tangible uh, talking points to actually engage with clients and uh, get the client to understand that um, there is an issue. The amount of clients that we speak to who say, oh, my IT guy has my back, uh, it's all fine. Well, to me, that just says, you don't understand what your cyber exposure is because Yes, your IT provider can deal with some of your issues, but not all of them. Another thing that we try and do for brokers is actually um, work with our forensic partners to actually understand what companies, employees have previously been compromised. So we had a, a discussion a couple of weeks ago with a client where 
I told him that 91 of his employees' email addresses had already been compromised in previous data breaches. Well, the client was horrified because he doesn't get that visibility from anybody else. So, um, you know, he's moved from somebody who, who thought um, cyber was just something of interest to realizing that his employees are actually exposing his business to serious cyber risk. And um, that's why we, we keep talking about educating the employees because they are your last line of defense. And yeah. what we try and do is help brokers have that conversation to try and help companies. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, everyone. There were um, really great answers to that question. The next question, uh, I, I feel like we've probably touched on a little bit already. Um, and it's open to any of the panellists. So what claims trends are you seeing in your cyber portfolio and are there any patterns of certain industries being targeted? Like I said, I think we've probably probably touched on this one already, but if anyone's got anything extra to add? Uh, I'd say just on our book, uh, we've always had a very high proportion of claims uh, against the professional services firm, insurance brokers in particular. Uh, we're seeing a rise in claims against logistics companies. Uh, okay. and also manufacturing, if we look down break it industries. Uh, and um, just taking a little bit of what, what Jerry said and Michael said about education and for, for the brokers uh, online is, is understanding the industries that are being attacked should make it very clear that this is not a technology problem. This is a business owner people problem, as Jerry said. So as brokers, I think it's having the confidence to make sure that this is a risk that the business owner is looking to address because it's not a risk that their managed service provider or their IT guy probably has fully covered. And we know that from our experience when we do get our claims response and our vendors in place to look at some of the claims that we're seeing. Um, and there are some vulnerabilities in systems through no other fault, just under-resourced, overworked uh, IT teams that cannot defeat um, these threat actors that are preying on, um, yeah, the, they call it the weakest link. I don't think us employees should be called the weakest link, but playing on us uh, from getting around IT controls and security. So uh, a couple of trends and yeah, please, let's not think of this as a technology issue. This is a business risk issue. Mm -hmm. Excellent. M Michael or Jerry, did you have anything more to add to that question? Nikki, just to, to add to that, um, just revisiting ransomware for a moment, and we, we've talked about the increased sophistication, but um, from a claims perspective, what that sophistication is doing is it's actually leading to claims costs that we didn't pay before. So previously, if you had a, a ransomware attack and they locked down your system, but they don't steal the data, so you're talking about limited expenses to deal with that. But with these more sophisticated ransom attacks where they're stealing the data as well as locking down the system, what that leads to is um, the previous forensics costs, which were, were um, already an important element of a claim, but we now have the leakage of personal information. So you, you have increased costs on brand damage, on crisis management. But if you have leakage of personal information, what you also have is you now have a potential eligible data breach under the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme 
which means that you're off to the Privacy Commissioner um, to report where previously you mightn't have um, needed to report. One of the other things I, I talked about education because it's a critical element of what emergents do. And just to, to translate that into the actual claims, what we're seeing in the, the claims data is if employees are educated in security awareness training, we're seeing average claims costs of about 15% less for those claims compared to um, companies who are not educating their employees and not making them an effective last line of defense. One of the other things that I, I just um, add here is um, Andrew talked about um, encryption and protecting data. Um, we find that 51% uh, of, our, of our claims that aren't using encryption are actually 50% more expensive for us to manage. So when we talk about how you can protect yourself from, from cyber attacks, um, cyber insurance is one way, but actually improving your security posture by um, having encryption, um, making sure that your data is not exposed when it's traveling over the internet, and um, using that multi-factor authentication whereby you need another second level of security in order to gain access. Yeah, excellent. Um, Michael, did you want to add there too? Look, I think it's all pretty generic in regard to it and, and the, the important part is linking it to um, brokers being able to have conversations with their clients about how it may affect them. Um, so that we can um, increase the awareness, the understanding. Um, I don't think we've gone into to significant detail about social engineering. Obviously, both of the, the guys touched on it in regard to whether it be um, spamming or fake emails or Jerry, obviously a significant detail there about when people or actors can sit in systems for six to nine months and understand the, the terminology and the conversations that are being held by by different departments, that's obviously a, um, a major exposure for, for those businesses. Um, we often talk about, when I say we, I think it's the, the, the market as a whole often talks about if your adequate risk management, that, that buying a policy should hopefully be the last part of that because even if a policy does respond, there can be some uncovered parts of it. There can be the distraction that, 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 that happens to the business. Um, but from a, uh, a trending uh, topic, I think we've uh, referenced it high enough. Um, the guys touched on the, the financial services industry, the accountants are where we see um, significant claims from, from all of the areas. Um, but most important is if brokers are needing the sort of, the, the, the touch points, it's really for them being able to say those first party costs that um, their clients would be writing checks themselves for forensic investigators for data restoration, then, then that's what the, uh, the policy responds to. And that obviously emphasizes uh, Andrew's point um, earlier on about taking the words um, liability out of it, even though that those, uh, those claims are real as well. And then Andrew touched on um, transport. Um, our highest claim is medical. Our second highest is a uh, logistics slash transport company where 
um, when their systems and operating infrastructure is unable to um, to be up and running, they have no idea where to go and deliver uh, goods. And that's the, the simple conversations that I think brokers can be having when their clients say to them, it won't happen to me or explain how it'll happen to me or why you're putting this invoice in front of me for a couple of grand. And that's the, the job of all of us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure as brokers, we've all heard that that before. Um, again, I, I feel like this question, the next question has been partially answered from most of you. Um, I'll just see if you've got anything more to add to it. But what, some of the, what are some of the simple tips that small businesses can adopt to protect themselves from their vulnerabilities? Um, uh, Jerry mentioned a couple of things in, in, in there and, and so has Andrew and Michael. Like I said, all of you have sort of touched on it, but is there anything more that you wanted to add in there? I'll, I'll start off. For me, the most simple tips um, is, and, and I like to what Jerry said and Michael said as well, is employee education. This is the easiest win, the no cost, unfortunately for brokers, even no insurance win. But if you can be a risk advisor and say to your client, you should implement cybersecurity training across your, uh, your business, simple things like um, yeah, spotting a phishing email, uh, is one clicking malicious links that will do wonders to your client's risk profile. So one training, two uh, multi-factor authentication or one-time passwords, uh, using them and implementing across any business. I can see them almost being a norm with big commercial business in the in the coming years. Is they do help. So having an independent uh, password or a token that's sent to you. Uh, I'm sure most of the people in this call use them when you log on to perhaps your Google account or some third-party accounts that ask you to verify the email via a link to an email address. This type of process, um, you should be implementing multi-factor authentication. Patching cadence. Patching is extremely important. It's very difficult. Make sure it's being done on time and tested. Uh, the vulnerabilities that we see triggering events, uh, many of them are from known viruses that are out there that can be patched. So make sure your, your client's patching is up to date. Uh, so training passwords, patching, remote desktop protocol and open ports. Make sure if your organization, your client is using remote desktop protocols to log into corporate data, that they're protecting or securing the ports that access that data. So for me, I think they're very, very simple, quick wins, not overly costly at all for SMEs to implement, but will pay great dividends in improving the risk profile. So passwords, multi-factor authentications, patching, training. Thanks, Andrew. Does anyone else have anything to add to those? Yes, yeah, so all those all those points are are key points in in uh, protecting the 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 business from cyber attack. Um, one of the other things um, to think about is actually backing up your data. It's one of the most critical things that we find um, when we go into a company, and and I talk here from a, a claims insight perspective again that for those companies who haven't backed up their data, the costs, the average cost of those claims for us are about three times larger than a company who backs up daily. And when we talk about backups, make sure you test the backup. 
we've had numerous situations where a client has told us that they have backups in place, didn't test the backup, and then found when the um, when the time came to rely on it that there was a flow in the process and the backups were actually not happening. So um, there are some of the, the key simple things. Using a password manager is, is an important thing to do these days. We've all got millions of passwords that we just can't remember these days. So using a, a high, um, high reputable password manager is a good thing. And um, from, from a security perspective, know your IT assets. So for an SME business, it's not that hard to understand what are the critical IT assets of the company. So um, as part of that, are what are the crown jewels of the organization? What are the critical pieces of data that are invaluable to the organization? Knowing that and putting a strategy around how to protect them will help the company in the event that there's an attack. And this was one, one key message for, for SMEs in particular is don't assume anything. So a lot of companies have um, MSPs or IT contractors that, that help a business. Um, understand what you're getting for that from your IT contractors. So if you're paying them $5,000 a year, then you're going to get $5,000 worth of service. If you give them $50,000, you will get a totally different level of security. So understand what you're getting from your, your IT contractor. And um, one of the, the, the consistent messages that, that I hear from clients is this um, absolute blind faith that the IT contractor has their back. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I, I make the point, um, have a look at the contract with your IT contractor because um, there will be a limitation of liability clause in there that'll say virtually all care, no responsibility. So you don't want to find yourself in that position. Make sure you understand what you're getting, not what you think you're getting. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Jerry. Um, just M Michael, did you have anything more to add to that question? Uh, anything else I'd add, Nikki, would just be um, reiterating. I think there's five five main areas that anybody listening or whatever would uh, would be able to write down: um, patching, MFA, the, the the training from internal threats um, in respect of whatever it be, whether basically um, making sure that employees as are as um, aware and cognizant as possible about their uh, role in all of this the passwords and then the uh the backups it should be pretty generic for uh for, for, for all businesses and all insurers beautiful all right well we'll move on to the last question then we'll open up the floor to questions um i can see that somebody's actually raised a hand um if that person could actually type their question into the q a box um that would be appreciated we'll try and answer it for you in the in the in the q a session in a minute um, Jerry, uh, what does a cyber attack journey look like for a small business and how does the insurance play an integral role in this response? So insurance plays a valuable role from an SME perspective, but it shouldn't be the first line of defence for a business. The, the critical starting point is, as we were talking about um, a few moments ago, 
um, understand your assets, understand your risk, um, put security controls in place. There's a number of, of simple steps that can be made and the Australian government have done a great um, piece of work in this regard. One of the, the initiatives that they've developed is a thing called the Essential 8, which basically gives SMEs a roadmap um, in terms of how they should uh, make themselves more secure. But um, helping clients in their greatest time of need is what um, we're about. Um, a cyber insurance policy is a promise to deliver. And when a client is attacked, whether it's a ransomware attack, whether it's a, a social engineering attack, that's when they want us to shine. So any incident response solution should be a 24-7, 365 day a year solution so that um, the client has the support that he needs. One of the interesting things I find about cyber is um, the interests of the insured are very much aligned to the interests of the insurer because speed is of the essence. If, if there's a cyber attack um, and we can get in there and quickly understand what the situation is within the organization and put a team together of the, the insured, the broker, ourselves, our forensic partners, and make sure that we know um, who's in the team, what everybody's steps are um, to deal with it. Because the faster we deal with these issues, the faster we get the business back up and running. And one of the side benefits of that is if we do an effective job of ensuring that the business is back up and running, What's that doing? It's actually protecting our interests because one of the other elements of the policy that provides cover is for loss of profits, the business interruption element. So if you do a superb job on the front um, part of the claim, what you're doing is you're limiting the potential losses that can occur in the, um, in the second and third legs of the claim. So. Um, it's very much in our interests to make sure that that's done superbly well. And one of the most effective ways of helping that journey go smoothly is actually to have a breach coach that holds the, the insured's hand through the process so that they know what you're dealing with now, but also what are the next steps they're going to be coming through um, um, as the cyber journey comes through. So um, one of the, the alarming stats in Australia is for those SMEs that have had a significant cyber event, 60% of them never recover primarily due to a cash flow impact. So that's where cyber insurance can be invaluable to help a company survive these cyber attacks. And we've had, we've had many a, a company where their whole financial viability lies in our hands in terms of how we manage the attack. And um, that's a huge responsibility to take on board. And that's why having an, an effective incident response is critical to make sure that we get the company to the other side. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jerry. Um, we might move on to the questions now. I'll just go in the order that they came in. Um, 
and any of you guys feel free to answer them. Um, what progress is being made by federal and state authorities in identifying and prosecuting the perpetrators of cybercrime? In addition to that, um, are the severity of prosecutions being increased on a worldwide basis? Possibly a very big question for a, a, hopefully a you know fairly short answer. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. Uh, this question drives the heart of I think, or the heart and complexity of um, trying to solve cybercrime, and it's about attribution. So, actually, who committed the who committed the crime? Um, the criminals are getting very, very good, or have not getting. They're very, very good at hiding their identity, which makes it difficult for any federal authority to actually hunt down and prosecute. But there are prosecutions. So you can do a search online. I've actually been posting some links uh, for those on the call. You can look up um, about some of the reference material that I've used. But um, you go online, they are catching the criminals. Uh, the governments are also doing a very, very good job at trying to make uh, economies more, more robust or cyber resilient. Uh, the Australian Cyber Security Centre and the Essential Eight that's been referenced are extremely good and uh, world-renowned guides for cyber security, so a very good roadmap. Uh, we're also seeing an increase in legislation by governments around the world to put in framework to help capture these criminals as well. So uh, very, very short. Uh, I don't think governments are doing nothing, um, but they're, I believe, playing some catch up to some of the tactics that threat actors are using. Very, very difficult problem for us as an economy to solve. Beautiful. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to put in now? Otherwise, I'll just move on to the next question in the sake of time. I think the only other thing to, to add would be um, what um, is announced uh, tonight. It's federal budget night here, obviously, um, and um, what additional investment um, will be made for uh, cybercrime, because I think the, the little snippets that get leaked have, um, um, have certainly indicated that that's a, a huge possibility. And just, just to add to that, Nikki, um, what um, the, the regulatory landscape is, is changing in that we've had the notifiable data breaches scheme now for over two and a half years, but um, we hear on the grapevine that the government are looking at initiating a further review of the Privacy Act, and that's um, more than likely will flow on to a change in the notifiable data breaches scheme to potentially that something looks more aligned to the European GDPR. So there's, there's a lot more happening and a lot more to come. Beautiful. Um, uh, you, you could probably just give me a fairly brief answer on this question, but is there anyone looking at adding a cyber prof policy via a biz pack within SVU or Sunrise, similar to an added option like your tax audit, um, as it may help selling a policy as a package within, the, within an SME re renewal? Chubb already does. Uh, we've been doing it for four years. Uh, it's an add-on. Um, I don't think there's, there's about three underwriting questions to it. We go down Sunrise and we offer not full cyber, but um, a, a lighter version of cover through liability and expenses cover. So for us, it's been done. We also do it in our forefront policy as well. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Nikki, one of the um, advances of, um, or the benefits of the advance in technology is that there's numerous ways in which to distribute um, cyber products. Um, you know, the, the platforms are one, but there's also ways where brokers can um, tailor make through, through our technology the ability to actually um, 
provide bespoke solutions for themselves. Um, so there, there's numerous ways of doing this, whether it's through packaging, whether it's through um, technology, there's, it's very exciting what's happening in this space and there, there's a lot more to come. Beautiful. Um, just very quickly, average claim cost? Uh, Chubb Pub is the uh, average claim cost on a website called the Chubb Cyber Risk Index. It's a summary of 20 years of our claims data and also has some good risk calculators in there as well. So it can help brokers uh, advise clients on what the approximate cost of a claim could be. Mm. Um, it's still on a portfolio, and forgive me, this is a number I should know off the top of my head, but it's about 253,000 US dollars, I believe, at the moment across our portfolio. It doesn't sound a lot, but that comes uh, from also having a very, very large book of SME business with a lot smaller claims. Uh, I know in our portfolio, we've played uh, eight-figure claims uh, very clearly. And also, I know Australia has probably the unenviable title of having one insured that suffered two uh, close to $100 million cyber claims in one policy period. So when we talk about average costs against the growth of market, um, I wouldn't so much focus on the average cost number I provided, but more understanding which section of the policy is going to respond first. Michael said it, Jerry said it, it's cash flow for small businesses. Cyber and cash flow is about these first party response couplers. Uh, and generally, um, the use of forensic experts to investigate claims uh, is larger and more complex than I believe those SME business owners um, can afford and understand. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So just to add to that, Nikki, there's um, the average claims costs have been increasing over the last few years, um, especially the jump between 2018 2019 um, with um, the, the flow through of the notifiable data breaches scheme, putting an additional layer of cost onto a cyber claim. And then as we spoke about today, the um, more sophisticated attacks that are occurring where the ransom or the, the personal information is being stolen um, from the business, which leads to not just um, a, a cost forensically to um, deal with the system being locked down, but actually those increased costs of having to go to the privacy commissioner, um, having to deal with brand damage, um, identity theft issues, um, all those things are feeding into cyber claims being more expensive going forward and you know we don't see any change in that anytime soon. Yeah.